Hello and welcome to the first episode of our new weekly broadcast that we're calling Something to Think About. Think of it as something of a thought for the week, very much along the lines of our Sunday morning messages, which we've been broadcasting live on YouTube on Sunday mornings for the past couple of years. Indeed, we're planning to be broadcasting something to think about at the same time each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock on YouTube, but because most people have been viewing at a, uh, a later time, we thought that it was time to make a few changes. However, if 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning is the best time for you, then you'll probably not be viewing alone. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to keep seeing you here as long as we can all make it on time. Well, as you will have already noticed, we've changed the format a little. We're also going to be making this available as a podcast, so look out for more details about that shortly. And because we are pre-recording each episode, we are also planning to involve more presenters, so even more value for your money. <laughs> OK, well, we do, of course... Um, continue to be as resolute as ever to do all that we can to effectively help provide teaching and training in the Word of God. So do please keep in touch and keep letting us know what you think. As always, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media to keep up to date with all of uh, our other activities. Now, my name is Patrick. I'm one of those who struggles through life, but I continue to find power and strength in Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher. He's the one on whom I've learned to depend and trust as I travel through life. Now, I rather suspect, I rather suspect that for far too long, we have lived in far too much comfort. I'm not suggesting for one moment that we might not enjoy a degree of comfort, but we've probably come to take it for granted. We not only expect water to flow from our taps, for example, but we likely expect at least one of them to flow with hot water. We have machines to wash our dirty socks and much more besides, of course. And maybe some of us have another machine to wash the dirty dishes. Ha, what absolute luxury. And I'm sure that we could go on and on, even if we're not quite as young as once we were and find ourselves tempting to reminisce of less luxurious days gone by, the likelihood is we were still living in relative comfort back in the day. But then why should we not have lived like that? No, I'm not suggesting that there is anything inherently wrong with any of these things, not at all. At the end of the day, everything is relative, and I'm quite sure that there are many people living in far more luxurious surroundings than you or I have ever even dreamt about. 
that I still rather suspect that for far too long we've lived in far too much comfort for our own good and on top of that we've rather enjoyed it. Hmm. Here is a truth. Life has never consisted in the abundance of our possessions. That's what the teacher said. And he knows these things. He said this after having been asked to settle something of a family dispute, essentially making it clear that material possessions are essentially relatively worthless. And it was he, you may well remember, who told a would-be follower that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hmm. No luxury, king-size, four-poster, sleep-enhancing bed, not even a conventional, worn-out, bog-standard bunk bed. Hmm. Nowhere, he said. The thing is that there is nothing in this life, as far as possessions or comfort is concerned, there is nothing in this life that should be of any real concern to us at all. Quite simply, that is not what life is about. That is not where it flourishes, if you like. That is not where abundance in life is to be found. When we decided to follow Jesus, however many weeks, months or years ago that might be, when, when we decided to follow him, we did so at least in part because we understood him to be the, the ultimate authority in life. We had come to know him as a teacher, the teacher, who could be trusted in every aspect of our lives. We knew that uh, he knew the answers. Indeed, he is the answer to all of life's deepest questions. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The way that this world views life is skewed. It's distorted and generally a gross misrepresentation of the truth. You know, people talk about fake news. Well, this world is full of it. We hear it from the leaders of this world. The, 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 the media is saturated with it. Politics is built upon it. And I'm not suggesting that everything we hear is fake news, but the foundation of all of the noise and chatter around us is, at best, unreliable and, at worst, downright untrue. Jesus spoke of Satan as being the ruler of this world and the father of lies, and he's been at it since the beginning, so we really shouldn't be surprised by all of these things. You see, if our, if our world view is not built upon Jesus, then essentially it's 
not valid. It's not the truth. If our view of the world does not begin with an almighty, all-loving God creating the heavens and the earth, then it's a false start. And, 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 and everything built upon it won't stand up. It'll, it'll collapse. It's built upon a, a, a shoddy foundation, if you like. And I, I'm saying all of this to say that we do need to be careful not to allow ourselves to be distracted or set off course by this false narrative. The, the world around us is understandably obsessed with the preservation of human life. I mean, if there was nothing more to us than this, then why would they not be? But we know better than this. God is sovereign. Death is a certainty for us all at some point or another. So what's the big deal? What is different about our circumstances today that has not always been true throughout the centuries? Life has never consisted in the abundance of our possessions. Quite simply, that, 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 that really is not what life is all about. Life doesn't flourish through material goods or pleasures. That's not where abundance in life is ever to be found. And for the follower of Jesus, the death of our body is, is a part of a much bigger picture. And it's anything but final. In some ways, we might well argue, it's the beginning of life. In his letters and papers from prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Mm. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. And when he wrote those words, he was simply echoing the words of Jesus who had told his disciples that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, to be a follower of Jesus is to renounce ourselves and to let go of any claim we might have upon our own lives. Jesus went on to say that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, do we not see in all of this the, 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 the values of the world around us simply turned upside down on their head and inside out, if you like, at the same time? To become, to become a disciple of Jesus is to take a step of complete submission to the one who alone has the power over life and death. 
You may recall that when Jesus was sending his disciples out into the world, he spoke of persecution which they would face in times to come. And he told them, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. As followers of Jesus, we've already lost our lives. Listen to some words written by Paul, one of the most devoted followers of Jesus that ever there was. He said, we've, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So, so that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That which we know as physical death really is so terribly overrated. And certainly, here's another truth that I've come to learn. Whatever our circumstances, wherever might we might be, under whatever you know, situation uh, we might find ourselves, the best is always yet to come. You know, I have absolutely no idea what lies before us. And nor do you, and nor do they, whoever they may be. But I know this, the real enemy never was a Chinese virus. The real enemy never was the government. The real enemy is not a Russian dictator. The real enemy is far more deadly than all these things combined. And none of this diminishes the present crises, you know, whether that be a disruptive virus or a dictatorial villain. None of this diminishes these dangers, but it does put them into perspective. As the teacher said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The thing is this, the thing is that if we fear a disease or a dictator more than we fear an all-loving and all-holy God, then we've got our priorities seriously out of place. And this is a very serious matter. It's no wonder that on a number of occasions, the Apostle Paul compares the life of a follower of Jesus to a, a fight, insisting that we are engaged in a state of war. To those in Corinth, he wrote, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Ah, 
That's inspiring, is it not? He'll say it's the good fight of the faith. And he'll tell Timothy later that he had fought the good fight and kept the faith. And towards the end of his letter to believers in Ephesus, he writes this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's the passage from whence we get lyrics to such rousing numbers such as soldiers of Christ arise and stand up, stand up for Jesus. And it's perhaps the most well-known section of this letter to those believers in Ephesus, which happens to be my favourite letter in the New Testament scriptures. But that's by the by. You know, one of the main reasons for Paul writing this letter to these disciples was to urge his readers to see things which cannot be seen, to know things which cannot be known, and to understand things which are beyond our comprehension. He uses a phrase in this letter found nowhere else in the biblical writings, a phrase which speaks of places or realms that exist far beyond the three-dimensional physical world in which we physically reside. These heavenly realms exist beyond our earthly existence, transcending all with which we are generally familiar. And it is in these realms where we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It is here where having been raised from the dead, we are now seated with Christ. And it is where we are now actively engaged in spiritual warfare against the rulers, against the authorities, uh, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. There's really no getting away from it. There's no place of quarantine in which we might remain immune from this enemy. There are no fallout shelters to escape his atrocious deceit and villainy. That, that is, there, there is no ultimate salvation to be found within this physical domain. Earlier in his letter to Ephesus, Paul speaks of the enemy as the prince of the power of the air, 
Jesus, as we mentioned, spoke of him as the ruler of this world. He's the unseen commander of the enemy forces. And the fact that the vast majority of people might be quite oblivious to his existence, uh, even making light of it, is a matter with which he must be more than content, for he works best in the shadows, quietly and out of sight. But we are urged in Christ to open our eyes. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, that we may see things we cannot see, for only then are we able to confront the real enemy. And only then will we fully appreciate that there is nothing in this life as far as possessions or comfort is concerned. Nothing in this life that should be of any real concern to us at all. As Paul would say, we will be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and we will learn to share in suffering as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so it is with us. And so it is in Christ we have no PPE supply issues, no shortage of appropriate armament, for the whole armour of God is at our disposal. So let us take it up, piece by piece, praying at all times in the Spirit of God, and let us lay down our lives for Jesus, so that in him we might live to his glory. I hope, I hope that in this short time together we found at least something to think about. May God bless you in this. And may the God of all grace bless us with his strength. May he open the eyes of our hearts that we might see things for what they really are. May he enable us to fight the good fight of faith, standing up for what is true and not falling for the lies of this world. And may he give us the victory that is only to be found in Jesus. May our Father, the Father of all mercies, May he bless us abundantly that we might be a blessing to those around us. And may he give us peace.